All right, what's going on, everyone? This is the start of a new podcast series, well, a new podcast episode with the Sim Singh Sandhu. You may have seen me talk about him on Instagram or on Twitter, and today I actually get to see him. So hopefully it all goes well, um, and I will catch you guys once I get there. We're in the car, hopefully we'll be there in uh, about an hour. Uh, I might be a little bit sweaty. It's taken me ages to find a top that's clean enough to go on to uh, podcast today. So yeah, see you guys later. As me from the past makes his way over to Tarsir, let me give you a little backstory. The turban is a significant symbol of Sikh identity, and it may come as a shock that just 60 years ago, less than two decades after the Second World War, where almost 200,000 turban-wearing Sikh soldiers were either killed or wounded, you could still be suspended from your place of work if you wore a turban. The same Singh Sandhu was one of a number of young Sikh men at the time who faced such discrimination. To gain more insight, I met with the same to hear his story. The same shared a captivating story with me, detailing his journey from a construction worker to being embroiled at the center of the turban ban controversy. He shed light on the influence of figures such as Enoch Powell and the impactful story of Mr. Son Singh Jolly's drastic promise to self-immolate if the turban ban was not lifted. The same even shared how his work colleagues even took part in a bold Mad Hatters protest against London Transport's decision to elect the same wear his turban whilst on duty. So stay tuned until the end of the conversation to find out more fascinating details. And without further ado, let's get straight into our exciting conversation. Can you tell us when and why you first came to the UK? Why is a question like uh, everybody comes the same, with the same thing? I left my college in 1960, Jalandhar Khalsa College. And after that, uh, because my father came to England, for a better life. So at the time, a lot of people was thinking to come to England. And I similarly joined that queue that let's go to England if they like it better there. And how old were you at this point? I was at 18. 18, okay, wow, all right. Oh, and then when you first came to England, where did you stay? Like, where did your family settle? My uncle was living in this county since 1959. And uh, so we approached him. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, and then obviously you mentioned you were 18 when you first came here. So did you study or did you go straight into a job once you arrived? I went to job. At the same time, I went to night classes. Ah, the moment of truth finally arrived and I realized my microphone wasn't working. I quickly sprang into action after some consideration and I decided to use my trusty iPhone to record. I know you're probably thinking, wait, the audio before this point sounded fine. And yeah, you're correct. That's all thanks to the surprisingly good camera microphone. But don't worry, we're back and ready to roll. Okay, so you'd mentioned, sorry, that you were 18 when you first came and you went straight into a job. Um, also, you went to Wolfram College. I'm sorry, Wolfram College, Wolfram for evening classes. But there was a short period because first I got a job, which was day work. And after about three months, they changed shift to, uh, they did the work, changed shifts. Then I had to lose either work or, or the college. At the time, because we were new, we were not well off, and the finance was also a problem. So due to that reason, I had to sacrifice the college and had to take job. If in those days, jobs were so, so scared, uh, uh, rare that people used to queue outside the NEFFT for a long, long time. And there was a maximum, I think, with 2 million unemployment at the time. So it was a bad time when I came. That's amazing. And yet, so I guess at that time, having a job was like a rarity. So yeah, most, yeah. most people were, were out of employment. Okay. Yes. 
So what was the country like then? You come in the, in, in the early 60s, you're 18, you're from a different country, you don't talk the language. What was it like for you and your family then growing up or just living in a country like this? The feeling was not bad. County, uh, because we, where we come from, it was better than that. And I haven't seen the whole India at the time while I was living in my village. So maybe there India some parts are better than here, but I haven't seen those parts. So where I come from, village life, college life was not very uh, joyful in those days because when you are in hardship and you come to the country. Uh, so it was better here. And also people's, although they were racist, but normally you don't, feel like because everybody feels to be friendly. They, they, their uh, attitude, the way they speak to in the shops and they serve you in the shops is more like uh, welcoming because up there uh, still in India, I think it's rude. They, they don't speak like what they speak here in shops when you go shop. So it was okay. It was good. Okay. It, uh, the only reason I ask is because my parents, my dad came from Africa in the 70s and they lived up north near um, New, near Newcastle, yes. and they suffered immense, immense racism. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear that when you came earlier in the 60s, actually people were, on the whole, quite nice. Uh, it wasn't bad, actually. I think there are two problems. Some, one was that there's people who don't have, who were totally new, who don't have anybody here to look after them. For them, it's very, uh, very different. Yeah. Because I had my uncle, he was married, I was living with him. Uh, so first of all, that was easy for me. Yeah. And number two, I could speak some English, not fluently like now. Yeah. I could write English, I could read English. So to me, it was not that strange as to everybody just come who don't know nothing at all to talk. No, that, that's fair. So explain to me then the period between when you first arrive and when you get your job as a bus, as a bus driver. So in between, what like what what are you doing and what's happening? Before I went to buses, I went to buses purposely for this reason. Actually, it was not that this something happened to me. With the three year, I I was lucky. I had a good job, much better payment than my father. What he was doing, although I was underage, yeah. and in that time, because at the young time, you inspire everything you. Uh, you want to do, you want to do, yeah, you, yeah. you take risks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I went to Hollis Business as well, Bef before even go to buses. Soon I became 21, I bought a, a trip tipping lorry. At the time, there was a, a big construction going in Wollanton. One day I was watching there, what's happening, and the four men came up uh, from there, he saw a young lad looking at I was just looking straight because in the, in those years, I haven't seen that machinery in India. Okay, okay, I understand. I haven't seen that sort of construction going in India. So to me, it was like something uh, new. Yeah. And he said, lad, what you looking for? I said, I'm just looking what you're doing. <laughs> he said, we're digging here and sending the uh, all the uh, earth which is mo being moved to a different place. And uh, because we're going to go deeper, that was a, a shopping center, Volon, shopping center, Volon shopping center. And uh, these lorries are taking from here to that place. Uh, I said, oh, yeah, that's right. He said, you want to buy a lorry? He just joked me. When he said, uh, you want to buy a lorry, I said, bloody hell, can I, have you got a job for me? He said, if you got a lorry, I'll, I'll give you a job. Uh, it was a joke. Before that, I had a car, 
myself because my job was good. It was very few people who had a car at that time. In Woodland, there were five people who had a car or van. Three, three shops had events. Two people had a cars of racing community I'm talking, not the other one. So that I was the second one to have a car. So uh, so I went around to the places where they selling lorries, went around and uh, I start asking how much it is, how you going to work, uh, how much you going to pay. In those days, it was easy that if you pay 10% and then the rest they can give you uh, credit on the truck okay. at the time. I thought I haven't got 300 pounds because the truck was 300 3,000 pounds at those days, and that was a lot, lot of money. Because my father's A wages were nine pounds a week, where I was earning about 21 pounds a week. Uh, majority of people was average 10, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12. Somewhere. Some people who had a good job doing overtime, they used to make 20 pounds plus something. Uh, but that was very rare. So I went around uh, to the lorry places, and by evening, I sold her out that I would buy this lorry. I said, will you take this car? They said, we'll take the car, which is 150 pound. Uh, 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 the car was 500 pound, but there was some uh, credit on that one also. Oh, okay, I see. Uh, so they said, you have to find another 350 pound. So within one week, I tried to raise 150 pound, uh, raise 150 pound, give it post and put it post for the lorry. And within two or three weeks, I came with a brand new lorry, to that place. And when I came to that place and the foreman looked at me, he was looking at me, he was looking up, he was looking left, right, that, oh my God, what have I done? I just joked to this customer, uh, young lad, he is in trouble now, he has paid for the lorry. This is not how it worked. And he said, look, young man, it's my fault. I never know you're going to be that daft that you buy a lorry. <laughs> so I say, you told me if you got a lorry, I'll give you work. Yeah, yeah. He said, yes, I did say but I never know uh, how on earth you buy a lorry there. <laughs> so he said, look, the procedure is this. You have to apply for an operator license, which I never knew. You're 21 now, you can drive, but operator license is different, which is supplied by the Ministry of Transport that you are allowed to operate this uh, business. The procedure for this is somebody have to give you a letter apply for it, they will say we support you if you bought a lorry. Nobody want to give you a letter because people who already got a lorry, they don't want anybody else going competition. Yeah, they're all competition, yeah. And uh, now, and that will take you six months to get a license. And I don't know what to do now. Yeah. I thought, well, I got to pay installment every week, every month for it. Now what to do? Yeah. And he thought, oh my God, what have I done? He felt great himself. He said, look, the way it is now, I'll give you work now. But you have seen me, I've seen you. If police uh, uh, stop you just outside the road or here, I would say, I don't know this gentleman. I don't know why he came here, why he filled the lorry on the machine. We never employ him. And that's as going to be. So if you're lucky enough, if you can carry on, carry on if you are stopped that's it I can't do anymore yeah. but I have seen you <laughs> you have seen me so as a matter of fact the day somebody catches you that will be your first day that you just came to it we never seen you before yeah. Yeah. and it's not you can say that I've been working here three months no I haven't seen you before it's, that's what it 
first day and that's it that's the end of the it so by six months i worked there i earned enough to pay back my lorry full complete and then i thought i'm okay now in those meantime i tried to find how to get a a sporting letter from somebody to apply for a license six seven months yes then i got the license by that time uh got it okay but by that time i was paid yeah that's how it started and then so once you've paid off this lorry why then like because it sounds like you had a job you had a good time you had you paid the lorry off there's yes. no credit left making making no money making make, money making more salary making more money than than your dad as you were mentioning yes. why then did you decide to drive a bus uh my dad was working in goody factory we are from a sick family our grandparents they were like proper sikhs and uh, it was very hard for us when we came to england we had to cut our hairs i didn't want to cut my hair my father never wanted to cut my hair but people where we come to majority of them they were all clean shaven first thing they used to do is compel you to cut your hair you won't get a job and second thing if you don't do it and your friends or people who know you who know you like well well off not ordinary person people who are close to you they will say you you sleeping to take she's cut your hair then tell you go and have a shave because you won't get a job like this so this is how it was so my hair was cut like that and my father's hair was cut like that my father was working in goodyear company and there they were not allowed to grow beard but one person there before my father was working and he grew his beard he, he had long hairs but he they weren't allowed to wear turban so he used to put his uh, long hairs back okay. like a piece yeah and he had long beard and when he used to come home the other person and then he used to uh, wear the turban so my father joined him so they thought they two instead of one now in the in the company so they both one day said that why are we uh, wear the turban and see what happened yeah so they wore turban went to work and they said you can't and uh, they came home that uh, either we have to lose the job or we don't have to wear the turban anymore so came home and there was mp her name was rani short she was uh, uh, my father's friends uh, was living in the area where she was a uh, uh, mp that area uh, so my father friends were her constituents they approached her and uh, told them that we work in such such place uh there's a uh, there's a like color war going on yeah. uh, they because we are not allowed to wear turban and uh, she said why uh, well you hear color war nobody like that although there is a color war but nobody want to know that yeah, this color war pretend it doesn't exist yeah, yeah. she said no it doesn't happen there <laughs> and she said uh, look i'm uh, one of the directors of their company mm. as a she was not employed by the company but you know some people people are uh, what you call it uh, directors by uh, sporting them or yeah. which I would yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they so she said leave it with me all right to them she wrote a letter that i got two people here who said that they are not allowed to be attorney is that right and he because officially they, nobody want to admit they said no we never stopped anybody so they wrote back her to, to her that we don't stop anybody so when the letter came back after four or five days they called my father and they had his friend that I, I got this letter you are allowed to wear a turban 
So they said, can we have a copy? She gave them a copy. So they went back to work and uh, they said, you, who told you where work, uh, terminal? He said, look, there's a letter. You were written to our uh, MP that you uh, you're not refusing anybody to wear turbans. Yeah. So that was easy. Then uh, my father said that, look, we need to find somebody. This got to be a movement because nobody wearing turbans these days. We need to make a movement. How can we make a movement? Then this found out that in Woolwood buses, there were 140 people's sings were working, all young boys, and they were ugly shaven. They both said that uh, let's find somebody in there who can take this uh, case further. Yeah. Because everybody fear of losing job. Nobody wanted to do that. And one day they came back in the evening and uh, said, I told my father, look, Dad, if somebody say, you got a son, why don't you ask him to join the bus and uh, start this? Why, why you want to, you know, interfere in somebody else's life that some people want to earn money and uh, somebody may blame you? Yeah. Then my father said, well, you asked about that then. I said, look, you know I've got a good business running now. If you both happy or you are with me, you support me, I'll stop the business. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'll go said, there. Yeah. So it was a big thing for me to to close my business, I was earning about seventy pound a day, and those days, wow. and don't that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And where people were not having twenty five pound a week. Yeah, yeah. So, so I correct me if I'm wrong, and this is obviously why we're doing the the recording. But in some of the newspapers that I was reading, it had mentioned that in 1967, I think if I'm correct, uh, it said that you, when you first started the job, you didn't have. Yeah, like your, your beard and turban yes. and then it mentioned that you uh, there was a period of illness and then you came back afterwards and, and had a beard and turban so first of all I guess is that the is that what happened as I mentioned I went there purposely oh, okay. that I'm going to start wearing turban yeah. first six months in the job I was as a conductor yeah. then I was trained as a driver when I was trained driver then after I had two weeks uh uh, holidays or second, whatever it was, I don't remember exactly now. <laughs> so I went back, I had a bit, little bit grown up weird as a young man, very little. Yeah. And then I wore the tournament to the job without telling anybody. And so that first day that you go to your job wearing a turban, yeah. what happens? I did my water, uh, trip on my route. Then everybody came to know that this young man who's wearing turban. Then the inspectors were waiting for me when they were come back. They were going to see that, is that right? So when I came back from the route, they all standing there and with their driver, they pulled me out. Uh, I mean, they asked me to come out of the bus and uh, you have to take the turban off because this is not a part of uniform. I said, well, what do you mean it's not a part of uniform? I got a uniform color and same color, the turban is there. And uh, was, what is it? They said, no, we have to supply do the uniform turban. This is not part of the uniform. It's not in our uniform. You are not allowed to wear turban. So either you have to uh, take the turban off, put the hat on, cap on, or you have to uh, uh, not work. Uh, I said, well, I'm going to work here. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't uh, driven the bus any different way than anybody else. Uh, I'm not obstructing anybody. What's the problem? They said, well, 
there's no problem, Mr. Sandhu. We're not saying anything, but it is not part of uniform. We, we are cannot allow you to drive buses with the not very uniform. So by having that excuse, they suspended me, sent me home. Okay. They didn't sack me. Okay. So if they sacked me, then I could go and uh, make a claim against the unemployment. So they suspended me that we are not uh, sacking you. You take the turnover, come back to the buses, we need you. So that's where it started. I said, I'll take the decision that no, I'm not going to come back to the buses without turn, that I'm going to return. So that's where the agitation started. And how old are you at this point? About 22. 22, wow, okay. That's 23, maybe that's is a lot. Most 22 year olds are just fresh out of the university and don't have a clue about life. So that's that's pretty amazing. Um, okay, so they ask you to come back on the premise that um, you don't wear your turban. And obviously you do wear your turban and um, and you don't go back. So from some of the reports that I read, it said that you then left Wolverhampton to get a job in London. No, that was not straight away. Okay. That was, I've been fighting for two years. Okay, so what happens in those two years before? In those two years, first of all, we were writing letters backward forward. And uh, my father organized a political party here, Shomni Akali, because he was Akali from India. So he formed a party in the holding land, make branches. You have still even very rare, few people are, but you will find one or two people in each town. So they made a Shomri Kali party and they start writing for the party behalf that you are uh, uh, obstructing our citizens or our members to wear turban. So we we were fighting with them. It took it took about two years. It went to uh, House of Lords. Even the case went up. To, and and you're not working with these two. No, not working. Two years it didn't work. Uh, but you're, you're suspended. You're not suspended. Yeah. So are you being paid? No. So you're not being paid. You don't have a job. But technically, you can't. I guess get another job no. because you're still technically employed by them. Yes. So they. Okay, I see. So they have really kind of made got you stuck. All right. And so after those two years. What like what happens? What makes you think? All right, I'm gonna move and find a job elsewhere. Uh, not find a job. I want to drive the bus. So applied into London Transport okay. after two years. That I've got a license. I can drive, and uh, I want to drive buses. On my CV, without looking at me, they appointed me. Okay. They gave me job. So when I went to London, similarly, like London, they all give training to new person, no matter if you're a driver, whatever, they don't give you just bus to go on duty, they give you training. Yeah. I had the training. The people who were inspectors, uh, who were examiners, exa inspectors, examiners, all, they knew where I come from, what has happened. They don't want me to start the job there. They didn't say nothing, but they was not helping me. So after a week training, when they had the test, they failed me. Although I, was, I got a license, they failed me, you know, fit. So the general manager of the whole transport, I forgot his name now, he thought, I do not want to have the same agitation in, in, in London now, what is happening in Wolverhampton. Well, don't spoil the name. 
then he said that he want to sit in the test himself with the inspectors and asked me to go the uh, route again uh, take the bus and uh, examiner sitting on the back and uh, that general manager was sit, sit, sitting on the back he not saying nothing uh, examiner is uh, giving instruction go left go right break or whatever yeah. and there also there is a big skid pan uh, they made in uh, london transport they give you train there if in case bus skid how you control it so you have to skid the bus and control it very quickly. There's a big, big barrier. So they took me there at the old old event. And then uh, I saw through the mirror that inspector is, uh, no, general manager asking him to the inspector. He, I asked him, he nodded his head like this, a, a question like, how is it? Because he's sitting with him. So he, this, the examiner cannot say anything where he, he got any uh, fault finding because the general man is sitting with him. Then he asked him, what is it? He said, he's, he's okay now. He said, he was not okay yesterday. Uh, today he's all right. So uh, they passed me. Then they gave me a job. Then the general manager called me in his office. Uh, normally it doesn't happen uh, like that. Uh, because his office is right in the center. We were in the buses or depots all over the places. He said, look, we are going to give you a job. It's my responsibility. Your safety is our responsibility. When you leave home, come to work. Don't argue with anybody. Don't say nothing. Don't forget. Just come straight to your job. Don't uh, go here and there. And then when you are in the bus, if somebody says you something, don't reply. It's very hard somebody will come and hit you, but don't defend. Don't come out of the bus if somebody tries to shout at you. So he gave me all these instructions that uh, he, he told me that there's a phrase in English, I don't know what it is, that everything goes old after nine days, it's only nine days, something, whatever it is. So when I came, went first day on the bus, not English people or other people who didn't like me. Somebody wore uh, just a wrapped fabric or somebody wrote, so, did a type of hat solves. Yeah, so a question on this. So I was I was trying to wait to get to that point because it's called, there's loads of newspaper reports called, it's called the Mad Hatter's Protest. So does this happen on the first day? First day. Okay, so, did you, so I'm assuming your manager was supportive of you wearing yes. your target and wanted yeah. you to wear your gear with an end. And I'm, and I'm assuming he wasn't a Sikh or no. from India. Okay. So, how does work work? Like, I guess, are these the same people that have been training you? Like, how does the work No, no, a lot of people, be they just, uh, because just other bus drivers. They bus drivers. Okay. They thought if he's allowed, we, we should be allowed to do anything. So, like, how did, so personally speaking, when I read those newspaper articles, it, really pull my heart out because it's it's so disrespectful i can't like i personally can't put it into work it's a uh, everybody but for you what was it like that day going to me uh i took no notice of anybody because i was so strong minded i did my duty as i should do nobody approached me to say anything uh, they whatever they're doing they keep doing uh, did you see any of these people or were they yeah protest okay yeah they they oh, no. 
in my garage and some other uh, garages also they were doing it so, but they were saying nothing to me so I said, why should i say it? Yeah. if they're laughing i'll laugh <laughs> and so what like so you mentioned earlier that there were 150 other uh drivers as well so Obviously, they're all not English. What would the, some of the other Punjabi were Sikhs saying? They were hundred foot Punjabis, and those young men. They were Punjabi Sikhs. They were. And what did they think of what was happening? Some of them were supporting me. Some of them were not supporting me. Three or four people were totally supporting me. That we will stand by me. Yeah. And uh, we we did quite a few things in uh, while I was there. But we doing it. We one day uh, put a notes board on the on the Union uh, board, there's an indoor park uh, bus driver association having a meeting. Yeah. There was no association. So, like, clever mind that, let's see what happened. Yeah, yeah. And the transport at General Worker Union, who was the transport, uh, uh, who was the uh, union, they felt, oh, but yeah, what's happening? <laughs> they thought the people had made the union. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't allow. I wouldn't lie. Yeah. So they flow with us. I said, look, you're not listening to us, so we've got to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was no union at all. There was no, so three of us, three, four of us made it. That is st- stuck it on the notes board. So how long does this, like, so obviously you go to your job in London. These other bus drivers are wearing whatever they want on their heads as a form of protest. How long does that last? Three days, and then they still that's it. There's no, and you continue to go to work. Uh, no problem. I worked for uh, the London Transport one year, yeah. and then I left and I came back because I done my what I wanted to do, yeah. and in that meantime, while the education was still going in Wollongong, my father and the other his friend, who uh, in the first instigate me to start this, they went to when everything failed here. They went to India to get this support from our government. They went to Amritsar first, the head of so Akali also. The government was Akali also, Punjab government. Uh, at that time, I think Prakash Badal was the prime minister, uh, chief minister at the time. Approached him. He didn't do nothing, but he did refuse. He's a very diplomatic person. He would, he would, he was speak to you very nicely but what he does is different things he didn't help then uh, they went to show me the committee they didn't help and when they didn't help then another person here in uh, london his name was son singh jolly he knew me before he he met me before he used to write letters for me also for a registration board uh, to get do help he came to me, he said, look, young man, now, enough, enough, now. It's just a joke or you're going to stick for it. Yeah. I said, uncle, look, you can see now how long I've been off job. Yeah, yeah. You find it a joke. <laughs> he said, no, I don't, but because I'm going to be more serious than that. Yeah. I said, what? He said, look, tell your father from India to speak to me and uh, I will tell them exactly what I would do. So my father called him. He said, uh, what, uh, he asked my father what you're doing. He said that we are going to organize a protest march against the British High Commissioner in Delhi because uh, Punjab people refused us to help. They approached the Delhi Gaudara Parandak Committee 
at that time jathira santosh singh was a president good or bad we don't know but he said he will support so he organized a protest march against the british high commander 50000 sikhs gathered there and my father and my father's friend sol singh they were leading the protest march and he told them like the day you are protesting in india i'm going to know something he said look i'm telling you and i'm going to tell them he said he announced in the paper that i will burn myself into death if they don't allow because he was an ex police officer in kenya he said i lived all my life serving these people as a ex police uh, person i'm retired now at my retirement i don't want to feel my community being insulted in england so he knows that he will burn himself to death and uh, delhi was a protest march and yeah. those time the people from the press they heard the news yeah. and they start approaching him they were asking where are you going to burn how are you going to burn what are you going to do? he said look you got this message and that's it i'm not going to tell you nothing else then uh, in the meantime sant fadi singh was president of shomri Gurdwarap uh, Shomri Khalidal in India. He himself was uh, threatened in a way that somebody else would sacrifice. While he, prior to this, he had a threat to Indian government for some, I don't know what it was, that he will burn himself to death if you don't uh, uh, take our, uh, uh, accept our demands, whatever, I forget what it was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he didn't die. and people didn't like that you say something and you did do don't do it and they thought if somebody else die in england i will be like really ruined myself that yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing. so he sent an uh, telegram to sons jolid that we will take the case into our hand don't die take your uh, threat back he didn't reply him so the press went to him that your pope has written you now that they going to take the case into their hand are you still going to keep your uh, threat yeah he said uh, i remember you what because i can't forget many people who done for me something yeah. he said my pope is guru gobind singh <laughs> i don't care who the sant fadi singh is when guru gobind singh will send me message that he has taken the matter into his hand only then i will yeah, so yeah. so so they were really really shaken the press people that this person is meant what he was saying he could do it before uh mr son singh jolly made the announcement did you know what he was going to say he he told me and what did you think when he told you that it was a big thing for me to hear from him but at the same time he told me the Uh, I don't want to see you like a change your mind or like a youngster, you know, like they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Because if you know, there was a person who was a uh, in Second World War, a Sikh, who was very popular uh, uh, Air Force uh, pilot. Oh, I think Hardeep uh, Singh Malik. Something like yes, that. Yes, 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 yes. At the time, he wore turban. Yes, he did. 
and he was so much respected in England. Yeah, and still is. Uh, still is, but it was like he so he's in his his story. He said one, I went to a cinema. There's a big queue, and he stood stood on the back of the queue, that uh, he wanted to wait for a ticket, and somebody recognized him. He's that pilot, so they respect. He says, sir, you not have to stand there. The for the front, yeah, yeah, and go in. You don't need ticket, so it was that much respect. But at the life, in, in a little life, he uh, shaved his beard and turban. So he said, "About Dharma, you'll be one of those." I said, "No, that's not what would happen to me. My roots are deeper. My grandfathers, they used to be jathedas of uh, Morchas, so it's it's in uh, in my blood. It's in my blood." Okay, sorry. So coming back then to. Uh, so Mr. Son Singh Jolly obviously making this declaration obviously you are committed to it I was reading that at one point in uh, I think 1968 there was a local protest march and the, the report said there were between 1 and 5,000 people when did that march happen was that before with this it was, it was a lot before that oh, it did. It was early days when we was when when I start this protest, people start gathering. Uh, I has start getting support, and then or, uh, my father organized the protest march. Yeah. When he organized the Akali uh, Dalin Hor England, and there were six thousand people came to join wow. all over the places. Once uh, Mr. Son Singh Jolly makes this declaration, what happens after that point? So obviously he doesn't uh, immolate himself. He doesn't set fire to himself. So what happens? Before that date, before the third date came, and the protest happened in Delhi, uh, in House of Lords, yeah. it was allowed that they should be allowed to be a tower. Okay, so because of that decision, that was the end of it. And so did you go back working at the Wolverhampton bus company? No. No. So where did I approved my uh, whatever I did but do. So came back from London again. I start doing my truck business again. Oh, okay. Did you know of anyone then who worked at, say, the bus company who who started to wear that novel because of what you done? Yes, five people who were supporting me very, very, uh, very strongly. One of them is alive still. Okay. The other three are down or two. One is died definitely. Two, one was very, very ill. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about him. And they were used to my age. Uh, the person who other one was who wore the charbon was. His name is Avatar Singh Azad. Okay. He wore the turban soon after winning the case. Yeah. So five people did uh, wear turbans who were working in the transport and so on. And now you can see everybody's yeah. wearing turbans. Yeah, yeah. So what? So obviously that was the bulk of, of what I wanted to talk to you about. But how did you go from kind of the 1970s to building up to what is now a, a, a business that you're sitting at the head of? I went into, first of all, a holiday business. I, at that time, I grew up to up to six trucks. Uh, it was up to 19... After coming back from London, between, between uh, 70 and... Uh, 76, 75... I grew up to six uh, uh, trucks. I didn't want to my family to go into business with me. I want to support my because I was the elder person in the family. My father went back to India. Then you know when we won the case and so I thought you have the holidays now, 
and you can join or enough is enough, you done the hard bit as well. Uh, because when I was not working, uh, everybody does require a senior person in the family. Uh, my elder son will help him, big family. But uh, that time he had to work hard. So I said, okay, enough, you, know, now you can enjoy yourself now. He never worked after that. Uh, although he was only about 45 or 46 at the time when he started, didn't work after that. And I started business. Luckily, with God's grace, we went well. And my younger brothers were, physically, they were not very strong. They were like uh, younger. They were not healthy like myself. I thought, in those days, truck business is heavy work, and uh, I want them to join me. They won't be able to do it. So I thought, let's change something. Yeah. So I start uh, uh, doing the ladies' uh, fashions wear. So start working. Uh, Working there, we built up the business and had a warehouse, which is which was in Bensbury again. Yeah. My brothers were working with me, so we grew that business uh, quite well. When they start getting married, after that, you know, they want to go their ways as well. So they start, we start splitting, and uh, one by one, we went our own ways, not uh, arguably, but you know, amicably, naturally. Uh, then um, I started this uh, wholesale of uh, fabric because I was only in fashion. Yeah. So start selling the fabric to the people where you used to buy the, uh, the garments from. So we start knitting the fabric, start printing the fabric, uh, just uh, without new anything from zero, uh, and and be successful. So how long has this business been running? Seventy six. I start printing the fabric. Wow. And that business went okay up to 1978. Okay. 1978, Mrs. Thatcher came into power. Yeah. And the, all the system changed. England started going bankrupt. Yeah. When everybody was unemployed, companies started bankrupting, going bust, bust, bust. When one goes bust, he owes money to somebody else, then he affect him, affect him. I used to go to a textile place in Bradford, uh, Manchester, which was a uh, used to be flourishing, but after 1978, two things happened. One was the lot of laws changed. Yeah. Then the interest rate from five percent went up to twenty-two percent. Nobody could afford it, no. and people started going bust. The mills in Bradford, Yorkshire area, yeah. ten-story mills, whole feet, clothes, boards, board. You don't see a person. You don't see anything like that. It used to be ghost town. And then I diverted myself into sofa material that we diverted. We had a, from 1978 to 1990, had a very, very tough time. And uh, then uh, went into the sofa business. Sofa material, not uh, making sofas, material. Okay. So, touch code gradually, we became successful printing the sofa material and selling, then start selling the plain fabric, start importing from China. Okay. And then now we, I got two big, this place is very small, it's not big. Got another place which is six acre site. Wow. And uh, we, that's running there as well, the same thing we're doing. And so do you manage 
like what do you manage how like as in so uncle if you don't mind me asking how old are you now um 79 now wow okay so i you first of all you obviously don't look 79 um you walked in with the demeanor of a 40 year old earlier when i was when i was sat there um and it's you have a very kind of you have a strong presence about yourself so what do you like what do you do now in terms of your job so actually i would just uh, Looking over, that's it. <laughs> My son, sons are doing everything now. Okay, okay, that's good. Um, but we got fifty people employed there, and uh, and do you have any plans on retiring, or do you always see yourself working? I think I will see myself working. I'm not going to retire unless uh, physically something happened to me. And hopefully that doesn't. Hopefully you stay well and and or good. Oh, well, I just get up in the morning, don't in time, six o'clock, then do my shower, my prayers, nitnam. Then come to work for nine o'clock, and uh, then just alleviate for six o'clock in the evening. What question that I have to ask you, um, considering that you've spent decades. It's fine. Come in. Sorry. Oh. Um. Yeah, so, so one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was, well, actually, I've got two. One is, is that um, Enoch Powell is often in your story is connected because of a speech he gave, I think, soon after. For someone who was center of the story, grew up and was in the middle of it, what, what, can, what do you remember or what can you say about Enoch Powell and that kind of right-wing movement? Enoch Powell, what is, uh, people knows, wasn't that. Okay. In politics, you know, a lot of things happens. I was his constituents. He was very close to me. Okay. In fact, when the election day, when they make committee room, my front room used to be used as a committee room. Okay. He was living not far about maybe 500 yards from me. Okay, very close. So we were very close to him. He helped uh, to get two of my cousins in England. Okay. So it was racist. He wouldn't have. He wouldn't do that. Yeah. Two of my cousins came to England. One, my cousin came for study, yeah. further education. He did his degrees in India. He wanted to study further. We applied. We sent him the uh, uh, letter from uh, uh, admission from um, Wolfram College, Wolverhampton. But he was refused. Okay. So we approached Inno Powell that uh, he be refused. What can we do? You know, why he be refused? We got everything. What is required by law? He saw the paper. He said, leave it with me. Yeah. He picked up the phone. Uh, no, no, didn't pick up the phone straight away. He went to the parliament. He said, is the British High Mirror under British government or the British government under British High Mirror? Mm. He, he asked this question. They said, why? He said, if somebody have got all the evidence or all the sporting uh, documents, what you require to f have a further education in England, why somebody is refused? They said that he's not supposed to be. Then next day, he picked up the phone to the high commissioner, asked him the question, and my cousin was sent a letter from the British high commissioner. Three days later, come and see him in Delhi. He should him a visa. He came here. And second cousin Mike came to work here. He helped him for, for that as well. So he was not a racist at the time. What happened in the Tory party, there was a lot of movement. 
Ted Heath Gorner was not uh, stable. Yeah. When you want to want to become a prime minister, like you can see recently now, yeah. Sunik and the other three, they were all uh, uh, having a, a go that who want to be prime minister. And uh, then uh, uh, who were one is one. So the, we were recording in the impressive office factory of the sim, but as we were recording, a number of important phone calls came through and at one point the sim had to step out in order to deal with something. No need to worry though, he was back in the flash and we got to finish our engaging conversation. Hello, and he was a, not that, uh, so when somebody want to become a prime minister, they want to see how they can move worse. Yep. So he found at that time probably if he played this card of racism, he may be popular. Okay, so it was a political. He played a, this politics uh, game, yeah. but it flopped. Yeah. So he left Wolum on top of that. Yeah, yeah, which is never seen after that. Basically, he wasn't bad. He used to help like, because uh, when uh, somebody you and I, you go for anything, he used to help everybody. Yeah. One last question is, um, well, two. I will, I will end with another one. But um, so I'm sure, like you're aware, that a lot of kids growing up nowadays often get bullied or they go through hard times wearing a turban and looking different. What would one piece of advice be for someone who's gone through which, so it's quite historic, like as in the reason we're doing this podcast is because it's such an important piece of Sikh British history. But to those people who have gone through or are going through bullying because they look different, what is your advice? Like what would you say, say if it was your child or the grandchild? Well, you have to stick to your, uh, to your principles. Yeah. It's always hard time does come sometime. Uh, it's not that you say that uh, everything is uh, easy. Yeah. But uh, you have to be, you, you stick to your faith. Yes. Yeah. This is the last question. I just wanted to show you this cartoon, which I found in the Daily Mail. Um, it was published soon after your, um, it was published in 1968, I believe, from the Daily Mail. And it shows kind of a characterization of yourself on a bus and the white bus drivers saying, like, how dare they? kind of allow Sikhs to know where their toe is. Two questions. Have you ever seen that before? And secondly, what do you think looking at that, considering that is the that is the kind of the image that was pushed out to the wider public by what is a ragged newspaper, but nonetheless, like what is your reaction to Actually I would laugh at them. Yeah. It's their weakness, what is showing the people the cartoonist uh, I don't know what they would do. In our campaign, church people were helping us. Uh, so all the wise people were helping us. In the uh, in the uh, in the protest march in Bulan, when six thousand people uh, joined, the local church people as a community they uh, they approached us and they was in the protest. Uh, uh, couldn't protest. Well. I'd like to say is thank you for uh, making the time. I think we've spoken for almost over an hour. Um, it's been a pleasure. I've absolutely loved it. Obviously, when I go back, I will check everything's okay. And if there's any issue, I will be back in touch. But um, I just wanted to say thank you. This has been absolutely brilliant. It's 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 kind of crazy to talk to someone who I read so much about. So yeah. Um, thank you for your time. I do really appreciate it. And here we are at the conclusion of another exciting podcast episode. I hope you had a great time and learned something new. 
If you like what you heard, make sure to hit that like button, subscribe to stay updated on future episodes, and share your thoughts in the comments. Your feedback means the world to me. Even though the podcast recording had come to an end, the camera was still rolling as Uncle G took a closer look at the Daily Mirror cartoon. I was brimming with curiosity and just had to ask a few more questions. Anyway, he done the cartoon, and, but he still shows that the driver was six out driving. <laughs> no matter what they say. No matter what they say, we still want. Yeah, not so there is. Where would the negative curry? There are more people going into the curry houses. Yeah, the mission chips. <laughs> well, what is it? They say now that, um, what is it? Chicken tikka masala is their national dish of India. And so, I think we're definitely racist. It's always just like uh, English people. Prior to the Asian came into England, they haven't had any color. They were really black. White, black, and brown, navy, uh, sky blue, and a gray. That was the color. They never seen the color. What did they see now? Yeah, yeah. And they never had any. They all they could do the boil things and put some salt on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they are willing. Now they go to any shops and they buy the our masala and all that. Well, even yeah, it's, it's crazy to see how things have changed so much. What for, what for you would you think, would you say is the biggest change in this country since you came in the 60s? Is that, I think what you did, the people are in trade themselves, they knew nothing, they haven't seen any word like, if, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if I ever seen any more than my village, then I won't know nothing. Mm. These people have never seen anything. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, Second World War, Six moved first into uh, Germany, six moved first into Israel. They, those people, they have got respect for them, but the, the, lo- the new one they've forgotten or they don't know. Yeah. Are you going to the deep books? Yeah, going through history books and chat. What was your role that, you know, like, because obviously you were there was the 80s. Once Operation Blue Star and stuff like that happened, what was kind of the community's reaction here? If we were there, we would fight back. Yeah. Was there, were you almost sad that you were there? Were you sad that you were in this country? But, but whatever we could do in this country, we did. Yeah. I was, uh, at that day, I was a general secretary of a big group where we okay. We took 40 coaches to protest march in London. From our group around here, because that's for Wollongong. I had two cars, I had a Rolls Royce, I had a Land Cruiser. Yeah. I gave two cars, two boys, had permission from the council, and did the water, water, and they have application now. Car I speak one gate. Sorry, she had come on the railway swing and put it on my head, tell her, tell her, tell her. When the uh, speaker Aurora said to give the review of the body from the key Yeah, just to come and look and see what's happening. So Charlie put down that year map for the thing. Lidike Kadi coach that needs under the person of Quita. They hope sorry can they get now if I don't get the Fatnini coach for Nigal. Yeah, the board out. They don't have to shoot it now, get a connection with it. They don't tell you from the Fatorga. So the bark is scared. Did you go for your car, van, jogging, and that will be fair. Did you have any family in India when and when it happened? Yeah, the rest of the family out in India. And were they, were they irritated? Were they decided? 
Well, they were okay. Uh, we were in Tibbiwal, Karagudathkur, and Amarsal District, near effect for more. Thank you very much. Actually, I couldn't do much more now because. No, 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 that's absolutely fine. That was brilliant. If. Busy now. Yeah, no, I can imagine there's all sorts of happening. Um, but no, thank you so much. I can't, I can't complain.